Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. We've been in a series called Socially Awkward. Socially Awkward. Uh, that's not your cue to point at anybody because everybody is socially awkward. That's what we've been saying in this series. The word awkward, awk means wrong. Ward means to be moving in a certain direction. So awkward literally is wrong word to be facing the wrong way. But the question is, who is determining which is the right way? And I said, there ought to be some awkwardness in your life as a believer. There ought to be something peculiar, something different about your life. I am scared of you if you always fit in. I'm scared of you if you always go with the ebb and the flow of culture. How many know as a believer, as a citizen, not of this earth, but of the kingdom of God, there needs to be something different about your life. And often it's in those awkward moments that God's grace meets us. And so that's what we've been talking about. And I want to add to this series on this Father's Day. I'm going to talk to the men and the women. I'm going to talk to everybody today. Everybody going to get it today. But uh, stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. I know you just sat down, but uh, it's hard to fall asleep while you're standing. So that's why I make you stand while we read the word. I want to look at John chapter 5 today. John chapter 5. Verses 1 through 15. Can you do 15 verses? Okay, some of y'all been skipping on your one-year reading Bible plan, so I'm trying to help you a little bit. John chapter 5, we'll start at verse number 1, and we'll land at verse number 15 and see if you can spot the awkward moment in this passage. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, he asked a sick person, would you like to get well? Go try that in a hospital today after service. Just see how they look at you. Would you like to get well? And he says, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, I understand, you know, life is hard. You've just been through some things. You want a massage? It'll be all right. No, no, that's not what he said. Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Can you say amen? Amen. That is good right there. Jesus Ask the question, do you want to get well? This man responds, well, I didn't have nobody to help me get in the pool. Every time I try, I want to preach today uh, from this thought, lame excuses. Lame <laughs> excuses. Would you help me preach? Look at whoever you want to look at and whatever section you want to look at. Just look at them right in their face. Say neighbor. Oh, neighbor. I'm so tired. Of your lame excuses. <laughs> Come on, find you another neighbor. Find you another neighbor. Really help me preach this thing. Say, other neighbor. Today would be a good day for you to drop your lame excuses. <laughs> if you believe God can speak at the 1130 service, give him some praise up in here. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
God, speak today. Amen. Um, I hate to do this in the intro of a sermon. I know sometimes church feels like spiritual calisthenics and aerobics, but I want every man that can to stand to your feet. Every man that can stand to your feet. I need y'all to make some noise for all these social men. Oh, that's all y'all got? I mean, come on now. Men, thank you. You can, you can be seated. Men, I did that for a couple of reasons because I wanted you to feel that applause. I wanted you to feel that honor because I, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Father's Day can make you feel some type of way. I ain't never said this before, but I'm going to say it today. Father's Day can really make you feel some type of way as a father because how many of you know, historically and comparatively, Father's Day has always been outweighed, overshadowed, and eclipsed by Mother's Day. Oh, absolutely. I'm in fact, if I had all the mama stand, I'm telling you that shout would have been so much louder. Confetti would have come from the ceiling with banners. I love my mama. They would have gone way crazier. This is a reality. This is a reality. I even have empirical evidence. Uh, they did a survey. They did a survey, and they rated the top holidays in order. They rated the top holidays, and the top four holidays that people love to celebrate, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, Mother's Day. Those were the top four. Ladies, you are esteemed with Jesus and food, okay? <laughs> That's how high you are on the holiday celebration scale. They also, in that same survey, found that Father's Day came below Halloween <laughs> and St. Patrick's Day. So, fellas, ghosts and leprechauns go ahead of us. That's, that's our value to society. I'm telling you, you can feel some type of way on Mother's Day and on Father's Day if you're a father and make you feel some type of way. If you don't believe there's a difference, do the test. Do the test. Call a restaurant. Call your favorite restaurant on Mother's Day and tell them you want a table. They're like, Psh, you think it's April Fool's? Please. We've been booked for the last three Mother's Days. What are you talking about? You can't get in. Call a restaurant today. They'll let you right in. Oh, we got plenty of space. It's Father's Day. Come on in. In fact, go to Home Depot's. There are no grills at Home Depot. Dad got a grill. Go ahead and grill us up something for Father's Day. I'm telling you, Father's Day can make you feel some type of way. I did the test myself. I went to Target on Mother's Day. Two aisles worth of cards and all kinds of flowers everywhere. Two aisles worth of cards. Father's Day went to Target too. One little section on the aisle right between bereavement and graduation. Just a little bit section. Father's Day is messed up. You can feel some type of way on Father's Day and on a more similar and perhaps even somber note. Never forget a correctional officer telling me about the stark contrast when inmates have Mother's Day and when they have Father's Day. And on Mother's Day, inmates get all the cards and send them out to their mom. But on Father's Day, they always have plenty of cards left. What is it about a culture that seems to esteem mothers more than fathers? Is it because all dads have relinquished their duty and all dads haven't filled in the gap? Oh, I disagree. Let's not paint with a broad brush. That's why I had these mighty men stand. Don't get it twisted. There are some mighty men of God who are standing in the gap, being who God has called them to be. But the reality is the enemy has always been after the father. The enemy has always been after the man because the enemy knows that if he can get the father, he can get the mother. If he can get the father, he can get the son. If he can get the father, he can get the daughter. The enemy has always had a diabolical scheme after the men, after the fathers and brothers. I'm not trying to scare you on Father's Day, but I do want you to be alert and apprised of the fact that there is a target on your forehead that the enemy hates when a man of God will stand up and be who God created and called him to be. The enemy can't stand it. There is a target on your forehead 
if you are a man of God. He can't stand it. That's why in the book of Malachi, the whole Old Testament actually ends with it declaring that in the last days that God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the hearts of the children and the hearts of the children back to the hearts of the fathers. That's one of the signs of a move of God. Even when the New Testament starts, we start off with a genealogy of baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy. All them names are fathers because the enemy's always been after the father trying to put a gap, a wedge between the child and the father because he knows that for a son, that father represents what masculinity and manhood is. He knows that for a daughter, that father will be who she puts up as a figure of what a man is supposed to be. Even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, can I take my time today? Even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, when he begins to tell children, children, hello, are my children in here? Obey your parents. <laughs> Obey your parents and honor them for this is the only commandment with a promise. And then right after that, the Apostle Paul does something strange. He says, oh, and fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul, while he's telling children to obey their parents, that he gives a warning to fathers to make sure that you do not provoke your children to anger. He didn't tell the mama, don't provoke your kids to anger, because come on, mama, y'all got that connection from the moment y'all have the baby. That connection is there. But fathers, if you're not careful, your anger, your tone, your communication, your lack of communication, it'll affect the child. Your facial expression will affect that child. I've even learned, as I talk to my kids right now, because they're small, that I got to be careful about my posture when I talk to them. I still got to be stern, but sometimes often with my kids, I've learned to just get down right here and talk to them stern but in the right tone, but not to hover over them. Because can you imagine somebody nine foot just hovering over you? Do you know what that feels like? You don't know what it's like to even be on the other side of you, sir. And the enemy has always been after the man. It's always been after the man. Look at a brother and say, you're needed. Now look at him right in his face and say, you're needed. Let me show you how much you're needed. Can I show you a picture? This family time, let me show you a picture. I love this picture right here because I call this legacy. That is my father, my Nigerian father. And that is my son. Robert Madu the first, Robert Madu the second. And Robert Madu, the third. The third looks Puerto Rican, but he got my name. It's a powerful picture. Powerful picture. And a picture is worth a thousand words. It's worth a thousand words. And what you don't see in that picture is a decision that Robert Madu Sr. made. My dad grew up in Oweri, Nigeria. He didn't grow up in church. His father worshipped idols. Literally worshipped idols. Idols. That is the demonic culture he was raised in, but he made a decision to surrender his life to Jesus Christ. One decision. Look at the ramifications of his decision. It affected me. It affected my son. Oh my goodness. Look at how many people in here. One decision. Birth. What you sitting in right now. Don't you tell me as a man that the decisions you make don't matter. Don't you tell me that you can do whatever you want. I'm telling you it matters. Matters. What he passed on to me, I'm trying to pass on to my son as well. Not perfect, but have my eyes fixed on the perfect one whose name is Jesus. It's interesting. I took my son. I took my son to Jurassic Park. He loves dinosaurs. I took him to Jurassic Park this week. I didn't know if it was a dad fail. I was like, this might scare him, but we're going to try it out. And never forget, we sit up there and I'm watching him watch Jurassic Park. We're having the time of our lives. It's so funny. Even while I'm watching Jurassic Park and looking at the dinosaurs, I couldn't help but see even the subliminal message in Jurassic Park, because one of the lead characters and even one of the dinosaurs was created in a lab without a father. There was a mother who went in the lab and was able to give birth to a child without a man, as if, as if it was saying, you know, we don't really need them to procreate. That message was in Jurassic Park. 
Take my son out of Jurassic Park, and we're walking down a little movie hallway, and all of a sudden he stops. Oh, Buzz Lightyear, we got to come back and see it. So I don't know if we're going to see that one, son. We can't see that one. Because you know there's, there's been a buzz around the new Buzz Lightyear. There's a buzz around it about a scene in that movie, and I'm not hating, but I'm just saying you understand that the world is always going to put a particular worldview in front of our kids, and I'm going to put my worldview, a biblical worldview, in front of my kids. If the world's going to indoctrinate th th my kids, you better believe I'm going to indoctrinate them too. So we had a little meeting right there in the hallway. I said, no, you can't see this buzz. Can't see it. He's like, why not? I said, because I said you can't see it. I said, buzz is bad. He's like, buzz is not bad. I watched it. I said, no, you can't see that buzz. You can't see that buzz. He said, why? I said, because you can't see this one, okay? It's, she's like, but, but I can see the other one. I said, yeah, you can see the other one, but this one is different. Look, son, let's just go, okay? Let's go get some more pretzels and popcorn. <laughs> and we walked out, and I could see on his face, as I was trying to explain, and we'll have a talk later, he was looking at me like, yo, that's a lame... <laughs> a lame excuse. Come on, be honest. Have you ever made a lame excuse? No, like a lame excuse. Lame excuse, like for why you were late. Oh, it's traffic. Never mind, you left two minutes past the time you were supposed to leave. You was already late. Well, you ever made just a lame, lame excuse? Lame excuse for why you didn't return the call? Lame excuse for why you didn't return the text? Ah, I didn't get it. Who got it then? You ever made, I made a lame excuse? Lame excuse for why you don't work out? I, I never forget, when I, when I first started working out and I went to Orange Theory, it was like a couple of days in, and I was working out, and I hate running, and I hate cardio, and I was like a little bit on the treadmill, and I walked out of the class. I was with a friend, I walked out, I walked out, and he's like, man, why'd you leave the class early? I said, the playlist. Then I had the playlist right, man. I can't, that's discrimination. Can't nobody run to making my way downtown. I had to leave, man. <laughs> so funny, the, the lame excuses that we make. A lame excuse is a weak excuse. It's an insufficient excuse. And it's funny, we think that the excuse actually exonerates us from the responsibility, don't we? We actually think that the excuse exonerates us from the responsibility, but I came to tell you it doesn't. The excuse does not exonerate you from the responsibility. As a matter of fact, that's what God is looking for. He's looking for people who have responsibility. He's looking for men and women who have responsibility. What is responsibility? I'm so you, glad you asked. It is your ability to respond. Your ability to respond when God is speaking to you. Your ability to respond when God is calling you to do something. He does not want a lame excuse. He wants the right response. In fact, your Bible is peppered with lame excuses. You can't even get past Genesis, and you'll see lame excuses. Come on, you know Adam and Eve take of that forbidden fruit. Adam eats it. God asks a question. Did you eat of that tree I told you not to? Uh, the woman you gave me. She made me do it. The woman you gave, blamed his wife and God in one single sentence. Lame excuse. She even had a lame excuse. Well, the snake was talking to me. I didn't want to talk to him. Lame excuse. Even Moses, when God calls Moses, gives him a commandment to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Oh, well, God, you know I got a stuttering problem. I can't speak as if God didn't know that when he called you, as if God didn't create your mouth and your tongue and all of the faculties around your mouth and all your teeth that you have. All the excuses that we give. Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Huh? Who? Me? No, I'm not a mighty warrior. Nobody in my family's ever been one. The excuses that we always give God. Jeremiah, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. Well, God, I'm too young. I wonder what excuse you keep giving God that is so lame. And you think that excuse exonerates you from stepping into the thing he's called you to step into. Ooh, I love, I love my text today. I love my text today. Because in this text, we're introduced not just to a lame man, but a man who's got a lame excuse. He's a lame man, but he's got lame excuses, several lame excuses. And it's interesting because the Bible lets us know that this man, hear me, has been lame 38 years. 38 years. My spidey senses went crazy when I started reading this because I turned 38 on Wednesday. 38. Can you imagine being stuck on the ground for 38 years? I was born June 15, 1984. For 38 years, that means from the day I was born till this Wednesday. 
one position, looking up. This is first century. There are no hover rounds. There are no wheelchairs. Whenever you want to get up somewhere, you either had to move yourself. I pray that somebody would have the kind hospitality to pick you up and you tell them where you wanted to go. 38 years of being lame, 38 years of being stuck. How many know when you are stuck this long, you develop a whole psychology around being stuck? Every conversation you have is about being stuck. Everything you talk about is about being stuck. Your whole friend circle. What you gonna do? Man, probably gonna lay here for a little bit. Yeah, I was thinking we did it yesterday. We may as well keep on doing it. Have you ever had your whole system stuck? His economy is affected by being stuck. Oh yeah, there's nowhere you can work. Begging. Hoping for the sympathy of other people. For 38 years, this man was stuck and he had lame excuses. But before we even get to his lame excuses, the reason I got all the way down on the floor is I wanted to show you that lame excuses are actually birthed from lame environments. Anytime somebody's giving you a lame excuse, it's generally because they've been in a lame environment. In fact, I would say don't be so quick to judge somebody's lame excuse until you've done some investigation on their lame environment. Lame excuses are birthed out of lame environments. This man was in a lame environment. The Bible says that there was a pool called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. House of mercy, a pool of Bethesda with five porches around it. And although Bethesda means house of mercy, it really, from the picture that you would have seen that day, it looked like a house of misery. Because all around these porches were sick people. King James Version says, impotent people. And then it gives in detail that some were blind and some were lame and some were maimed. But you don't even get the graphic picture until you read it in the Greek. These are not just people who could not see. These are people, some of them, their eyes had been gouged out. Missing an arm. Missing a leg. All around this pool. I can't even imagine the smell in the hot blistering sun of what looked like an emergency room environment. If you've ever gone to a hospital in a third world country, then you've seen this scene that was around this pool. It was a sick environment. It was a lame environment. And all of them sat around this pool and they were waiting. They were waiting with anticipation because every so often in this pool, there would be a stirring of the waters. Some scholars believe that there was a natural well or upspring underneath the water, but they believed that it was an angel that came down and stirred the waters. It actually wasn't an angel, but it was a superstition. And it was interesting to me that here they are in this sick environment, making lame excuses, but you cannot judge their sick environment and only look at the symptoms unless you understand the source of the symptoms. See, many times when somebody's stuck or they're lame, you only look at the symptoms of the problem without understanding the source of the problem. And if you only look at the symptoms and you don't know the source, you're going to be completely confused. As a matter of fact, a lot of people come to Jesus and they want him to fix the symptom of the problem instead of getting to the actual source of the problem. Oh, preach, Robert. Because it feels better to have Jesus just address the fruit of the issue and not the actual root of the issue. And if you've ever pulled up something and you didn't get that thing by the root. It looks real good in your yard for a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden, here it comes back up again because it was not gotten from the root. Here is the sick source of the sick man is that his belief system is off. He believes that there's power and an angel that's coming down and stirring the waters. And they believe that the first one that gets in the first one that gets in is the one that gets their healing. Now, here's what I wholeheartedly believe about this man. I feel him 38 years. I wholeheartedly believe that when he first got to this well, when he first got to this pool, he was not planning to stay there long. 
Oh, not at all. He was not coming there to be stuck in that environment. I think he was actually coming with expectation for an experience. I think he first got to that pool. I don't know who dropped him off or how he got there, but I think he first came with expectation saying, yes, I'm lame right now, but I'm telling you, I'm about to be the first one that gets to that water. Let that water, I'm t let it start swirling. I'm telling you, I can get, you know how you do when you first start coming to church. You're like, oh, I'm in the pool. You're like, oh, I know it's going to be good. I, I can see God doing the miracle. And I think he has so much passion and exuberance for the first year, second year, third year, fifth year. But after 38 years, after 38 years, after you got calluses on your hand from trying to get close and people stepped over you, how many know after 38 years you don't run to the stirring as quick as you did before? In fact, you start getting cynical. Oh, y'all gonna race? Play. You know it ain't nothing to it. I think at one point in his life, he probably stopped looking at the pool and said, I'll just live my life on the porch. Do you know how many people, you know how many men have sidelined their life and given up hope and are living their life on the porch and won't believe God for their breakthrough anymore? Because how many know it hurts to hope when you've been hoping a long time. It hurts to believe when you've been believing and been believing and been believing and you still haven't got the breakthrough. So then you start making the last words of a person that's given up hope. It is what it is. That's when you know you've thrown in the time. It is what it is. Because you've waited so long for a husband, waited so long for a husband, waited and waited and waited, and because it hasn't come to pass, I, now I'm being side chick. It is what it is. Now, I know I don't get Christmas. Give me the day after Christmas. It's fine. I, it, it is what it is. Oh, no, it's cool. I tried to reach out to my son. No, I tried. He got attitude. So, no, forget it. It is what it is. No, I ain't going to reach out to him. I called him last year. Oh, that's fine. No, I ain't going to call him. It is what it is. Last words of somebody that's put their miracle on hold. But here's what blows my mind about this man. His miracle has been put on hold. Who knows how old he is, depending on when this paralysis started. He's probably not even looking at the pool. He's just looking up, saying, this is my life on the porch. He's not even looking for his miracle. But isn't it crazy that even when you're not looking for your miracle, a miracle can be looking for you. Oh, I'm about to mess all of y'all up. Isn't it crazy how God will have you in a place well, sometimes you ain't even thinking about him. You're saying, that season is over. I gave up. And right at the place where you gave up, right at the moment you're not even looking for him, here he comes looking for you. Jesus was looking exactly for that man. He went straight to him that day. See, this text messes me up because this is not like the woman with an issue of blood who pressed her way through a crowd and had all kinds of faith. So this jacks us up. If we're saying we got to have, oh, the reason you didn't get the miracles is because you didn't have enough faith. Well, then holler at this dude right here, because he didn't have no faith. He wasn't believing. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but oh, Jesus was looking for him. I want to take a praise break for a God that will be thinking about me even when I've thrown in the towel, even when I've given up, even when I said, no, it's a period. He still will relentlessly pursue me. Oh, somebody give him some praise right there. That even when you've given up, he will reach after you. This messes up my Christology because they say that there was probably around 300 sick people around this pool. And if a festival was happening, maybe 3,000 people at this pool and your God and my Savior, this loving, kind, compassionate Savior, watch this, is stepping over bodies. What's up? Yeah, I ain't come here for you. Sorry. Is stepping 
over bodies to get to this one dude. Oh, y'all would have thrown Jesus out the church. Y'all would have thrown him out the church because you would think that this Savior would have pulled an Oprah that day and said, you get a healing, you get a healing, you get a healing, you get a No, 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 that's not what he did. He had a specific assignment. He had laser beam focus on this one dude. And I'm thankful for a God that in the midst of a crowd of people, sometimes he said, no, 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 y'all can sleep on this sermon, but this is for him today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why he had to be at Gillies. I got an assignment. I'm thankful for a God that can see the one in the crowd. Woo! Look at him. Stepping over people. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, excuse me. Sorry. Comes a homeboy not even paying attention. He's sitting up here. Huh? And Jesus comes up to him and hits him. Woo! With a question. Before we talk about the question, I just want to talk about the question. See, people say Jesus has all the answers. I disagree. I think Jesus has all the questions. If you do your due diligence, you will see that in the Gospels, Jesus asked 308 questions. 308 questions asked by Jesus. People asked him in the Gospels 183 questions. Of the 183, he only directly answered eight of them. You know how Jesus will mess you up. You come to him with a question, he's going to hit you with two questions and a story. <laughs> and make you confused, like, what did I ask him about? He's talking about mustard seed. <laughs> he would mess you up. He was always asking what 308 questions. Matter of fact, the first thing Jesus says in your Bible is a question. Remember, he's a preteen. Mary and Joseph lose him. There's hope for you, Dad. <laughs> they lost God. They lost him. First question of preteen Jesus. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know? I must be about my father's business. Ooh, Jesus would hit you with some questions. He died with the question. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He would ask questions. He got up from the grave. With a question. Had already resurrected Mary in there crying. He got his new outfit on, new body and everything. Talking about, who are you looking for? <laughs> just doing surprise parties. Just popping up the road to Emmaus. What y'all talking about? <laughs> got any fish? <laughs> Ask your questions. Who do men say that I am? How much bread do you have? Where's your faith? <laughs> Always hitting you with questions. Why? Because questions do not allow you the luxury of staying at the surface. <laughs> questions go deep. Answers bring a finality. But whenever I ask you a question, I am now engaging you in conversation. And sometimes I'm using the question to challenge you from the complacency and the comfort of where you are so I can push you into where I'm calling you to go. That's why if you got a good therapist, they'll hit you with that at the right moment. And how did that make you? Because the questions are trying to get past your lame excuses. It's interesting. Because here's what he asked him. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? He could have gave a simple answer. Yeah. But no. He goes on this litany of lame excuses. But why is Jesus asking, do you want to get well? I think he's first of all asking it because he's trying to challenge his desire. Because this man, after believing for 38 years, has lost the desire to walk. He reminds me of a dude in Acts chapter 3 who when Peter and James came by, homeboy still asking for money because he didn't believe that he could even get his legs. And I love Peter and, James, Peter and John because they say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. Get up. Don't give you no change. You need change. Some people settle for change instead of getting the change that they need. He literally is asking to get this man's desire back 
to walk again. If you look at the word desire, desire actually comes from a Latin word that means of sire of, or of sir, or where we get the word of father. A desire is of the Father, and this is the challenge of every believer, is to have the desires of your Father, to desire what your heavenly Father wants. That's why the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean you're going to get a Bentley and a Tesla and the one that you've been stalking on the ground. It simply means that if you delight first in the Lord, if you relish in his presence, if you get so intimate with him, that there will be this blending of God's heart and your heart, and all of a sudden he changes your desire, and you desire the thing that he desires. And so that's why you get whatever you desire, because you delighted in him first. Oh, are y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. He's trying to get you to have the right desire. He's like, homie, you don't even want to walk anymore. You think that's it for you. So before I even change your walk, we got to deal with your want. Because all you want is to live your life under this porch. And you think your only hope is in the pool when the living water is right here in front of you. And you still stuck looking at that water. Not only did he want to change his desire. I think he was also challenging him to see, are you ready to do the work it will take for you to be whole? This is what people don't talk about in the church. They don't talk about, it is work to be whole. Everybody loves to shout and put the onus on God as if everything is on him. And then you leave the church frustrated and mad, talking about, God, I tried, I came. When you didn't do your part, that's the beauty of a question. A question engages you. Not a lecture, not a sermon. It's a question because God wants relationship with you. He's saying, you're going to have to partner with me. And the reason I'm asking you, do you want to get well? Because in a minute, you're going to have to get up and walk, and you will not get any more free handouts. You're going to have to walk your two legs into a jail. A-O-B. I feel like preaching today. Do you know how awkward that walk is? After 38 years? And you got to walk and fill out an application experience uh, laying out. You know how much technology has changed in 38 years? Do you realize the work it took? You know what else was awkward? That walk back. When for 38 years, you got a whole friend circle. All their numbers saved in your phone. And now they're trying to figure out, what you doing up? Because I had an encounter with Jesus. That's the reason I'm up. Oh, really? You don't want to come down? No, I can't come down to that level anymore. I don't do that. Oh, I seem like you're different. Of course I'm different. You didn't see that? He stepped over you and came to me. Don't be mad at me. He came to me. Yes, I'm different. Ah, seem like you stuck up. No, I'm not stuck up. I'm just up. You stuck. I'm trying... It gets awkward a little bit. It gets awkward a little bit. Because who do you talk to now? Can you see him? Just looking like Little Mermaid. Just what do these people do with legs? His whole friend circle's got to change now. Got the whole... Awkward feeling. I'm going, how do I fit in now? I love how this beautifully ties into Juneteenth. Yes, you signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. It takes till 1865 for me to even get the news. And yes, I got it on paper. But how does it go from paper to my reality? No, I get it. Yippee, I'm free, but. Where, where do I apply for a job? By the way, where, where do I find my family? I know you, you call me a deadbeat dad, but you broke my family apart, so I gotta find. Gotta find my family. How, how do I. What's my background? Uh, slavery? I, 
Do you realize we're still breaking up the sick system? And yes, we've come a long way. But the challenge of freedom, the cost to walk in wholeness, and people will sit in church for years shouting about the idea of change but never willing to do the work to actually change. Can I come all in your business? Shouting about the idea of, I just want peace. Just want peace. I, I'm not trying to delete my Instagram account. But I just want peace. And contentment. So much easier shout about change than to do the work of walking so he can make you whole. Do you want to get well? He goes into the litany of lame excuses. Well, I tried, and every time I try to get in front of the pole, somebody else gets in front of me, and I was I tried before, and I can't, and, and nobody in my, you know, my, my family's ever gone to school before, and you know, nobody ever gave me the love that I needed, and you know, my dad wasn't in my life, my mom wasn't in my life, too, and I never did it before, and they make my friends, they're all haters, you know, they don't, they don't encourage me, I don't get the encouragement, the support that I need, I passed out my business card, they can't even share my LinkedIn link, I just had my, I, I, and I can't because this ain't anything. Well, you know this misogynistic culture is just because I'm a woman. And it's because I'm black. And I said, oh, it's because I'm white. Oh, it's because I'm this, I'm this. I'm not saying there aren't realities. I just preached that earlier before y'all email me. I'm just saying, homie, who is in front of you? You still talking about the pool and the living water is right in front of you. And when he steps in your situation, there is no excuse that could ever hold you down. Give me some scripture. If God before me, who? I wish somebody would take 15 seconds and give God a who pray. Who can be against me? Who can be against me if God is for me? Worship team, join. I love Jesus because he interrupts his lame excuses with the command. The Greek is abrupt. He's literally going on and on. It's like as if he would have kept talking. Well, there's nobody there to put me in the pool. And I tried back in the first century AD. And I tried it in the middle of all this. He said, get up. In the middle of the excuses, get up. I love that. Jesus and I said, I need a prayer team to get around him right now. Just, yes, get the blood. No, 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 no. I'm all for prayer teams. Yes, I'm going to do a six-week series on the pain of paralysis. Let's make sure. No, 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 no. He doesn't even do him the courtesy of offering his hand. No, 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 no. All I'm giving you is a command because this is the same God that spoke the world into existence, that spoke into nothing and created something. So if I say, oh God, I feel like preaching. If I say, get up, it doesn't matter what your legs are doing. It doesn't matter how long your ligaments have been lazy. If I tell you to get up in that command is the power for you to be able to do it. Somebody in this place today just shout, get up. Get up. Get up from worry. Get up from fear. Get up from doubt. Get up from low self-esteem. Get up from the pain of your past. Get up from fear. Get up from insecurity. Get up from generational curses. Somebody with faith shout, get up. Get up. I gave you the command. In the commandment is the empowerment to do it. I don't need to give you a biology lesson, I made you. If I'm speaking to you to do it, just do it. If I said start the business, start the business. Stop waiting for the card, stop waiting for the website, get it. But just 
get started. If I told you to do it, I'm going to give you the empowerment to do it. If I told you to plant the church, plant the church, don't wait for a building. I'll give you gillies and we'll make it work and make it do what it do. But if I, if I told you to do it, do it. What are you waiting for? Get up. Man's legs. Imagine what all those six people were called. What in the world? Why him? And here's where I knew that Jesus is gangster. Because he was well within his rights and his means to just tell this man to get up. And how many know he could have healed him on any day? <laughs> he specifically, look how strategic your God is. He strategically picks this man on this day, the Sabbath. Jesus could have healed that man on any other day of the week. Pick the Sabbath on purpose. Did not only say get up on the Sabbath, Ooh. carry your mat. One of the very things that the Pharisees and the teacher of the law and all the things that they added to the word of God that was tradition and not actually the word, they were sure to pencil in no carrying mats. Tells them that on purpose. Why? Because if you can't walk in opposition, if you can't handle the opposition that will come against you while you're walking, you may as well just go back and lay on the ground with your old crew. If you care more about the opinions of other people than you care about what I told you to do, you may as well just go lay back. So here's your first test to see if you really put away your lame excuses. I want you to walk and do the thing that they told you not No, seconds, minutes, right after him walking in the obedience of a word from God, here comes the opposition. Uh, what are you doing? Can't do that. Uh, the man, the man who told me to pick up my mat said I could. The who? The man. What was his name? Get his name. I just obeyed. Do you see how kind grace is? This man doesn't even have the sense to know it was Jesus. And he's still walking in a word of obedience. And he ain't even got the full knowledge. That's why I love people who just came off the street and got saved. Sometimes they'll get more miracles than the people that have been in church their whole life and know the Greek and the Hebrew. They just say it. They just, they just crazy enough to believe what he said. It. He doesn't even know. He's still walking. And Jesus finds him the second time. He says, hey, you're home now. Stop sinning. Or something worse will happen to you. In other words, don't go back. Don't go back. It is so much easier to go back to laying on the ground, especially when I was home for 38 years. Don't go back. I want you to be committed to the process of walking in your healing. I want to talk to some man, some father today the enemy's beating you up today saying how dare you even come to church or maybe you're watching online and you didn't want to come because of the mistakes of your past and you're saying Psh, I'm not worthy I don't have enough this I don't have enough faith what faith did this man have Jesus found him but he did reach a crossroads we had to get past all the excuses and respond responsibility 
to say, I'm going to do what he said. Don't let the enemy keep beating you up. Commit yourself to the process of walking, not just in healing, in wholeness. He made him whole. Not just his legs, his soul. This is the beauty of our Savior. I'm going to ask every head be bowed and eyes be closed. Father, thank you today for your word. But I thank you that your grace, your loving kindness is bigger than any excuse. Father, will you help us today? First of all, to identify the excuses we've been making. And the Lord, I'm asking for the strength to walk in the obedience. Lord, to be willing to pay the cost, whatever it takes to be whole. Oh God, we're tired of shouting about the idea of change without actually participating. Jesus, today we respond. We will do our part. Ooh, thank you, God, that your word is enough. Oh, I'm thankful for people to help me up. I'm thankful, but God, there is something powerful about your commandments when you speak to us. Help us to respond. And lay down every lame excuse. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today, you'd be so honest. Say, Pastor Robert, this, this word is for me. That lame excuses I'm thinking of some mighty men of God this message is not just for men it's for anybody that has an ear to hear what the spirit is saying but sometimes it's so much more difficult for men to admit I've gotten comfortable in this condition of being stuck and just perhaps God had you here today to hear this word so you can get up stop saying it is what it is it's not maybe you were in a lame environment maybe you didn't have a model but it can change with you yes it ran in your family but it can stop with you but you must respond you can't go on the surface he's asking you a question I know you got questions for God why did this happen? Why did this happen? But I'm telling you, he's got questions for you. Questions like, how long are you going to hold on to it? Questions like, when will you forgive? Questions like, why do you have so much grace for yourself and your flaws as a father, but you do not extend that grace to your father? You have so much grace for yourself as a parent or yourself as an individual, but everybody else who did you wrong, oh, they are finished, they are done. Oh, but not you. Why is that? You're not walking in the fullness of this gracious Savior who says you can get up. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.